All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome to the Draft Analyst Podcast with Steve Cornianos on this Friday, September 2nd, 2022. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and you can find this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio, and listen, if, you, if you're if you using Google Play or Google Podcasts, whatever they call it, and you're having issues with the volume, I don't know what to tell you, because I've tested out my listening to my podcast on like five to seven different platforms, and they all sound fine. So if you think the volume is too low, uh, just switch over from Google. All right, I know if you're really married to Google platform, uh, go, the Google platform, listen to podcasts, and uh, my my voice is coming in low. I don't know how my voice comes in low. I'm one of the loudest people uh, I've ever met. <laughs> so, uh, but in any event, I, I tried to look into it. There's nothing I do about it. I made the volume a little bit louder. So those that listen to it on iTunes, uh, Spotify, the other the other. Uh, podcasting platforms. If it sounds too loud, let me know, and I apologize. But um, if it's just a Google uh, situation or a Google issue, uh, there's nothing I could do about it. So uh, anyway, thank you for listening in. And of course, the blog is draftanalyst.com and the YouTube channel is called Prospect Film Room. So today's a big day because uh, we're about a month and a half away, well, a little bit less than a month and a half away from the start of the regular season. And so we're going to begin my annual team-by-team season preview. And we're going to go in uh, inverse alphabetical order. So we'll start with Winnipeg and work our way down to Anaheim. But today I'm going to, I'm doing Washington because I already prepped my, all my, my notes and everything. And I'm like, oh shit, Winnipeg is actually the last team. So Winnipeg is going to be episode 215. So I'll start with Washington at 214, go to work my way to Winnipeg. And then from there, it's going to go uh, to the V's, uh, Vegas, and then Vancouver, the T's, Toronto, Tampa, and so on and so on, all the way down until the Anaheim Ducks are the last ones to uh, to go. Uh, they're going to last for about an hour and a half to two hours, maybe two and a half hours, depending on the situation. And I'd like to do about two to three a day. Uh, it all depends. But uh, what we're going to do in these podcasts, in case you, you're new and you don't know, uh, uh, you don't know about the format, or you've never heard me do these things before, it's real simple. We do a season recap. Right, we go over like what went, went right, what went wrong. We go over the, the the off-season moves. We the state of the farm system. We already did a draft uh, recap, so if if you're a fan, just go to the uh, podcast homepage and uh, you'll find your team. I, every team got like a freaking half hour, forty five minutes to an hour. In some cases, two hour draft recap, depending on how many picks they had. And then we're gonna work our way to the salary cap. So that's gonna focus on the current cap situation for your team. And then also what they have to consider down the road, possible constraints and limitations. And then we close it out by uh, reviewing the schedule. And, you know, th- that to me, that, that it makes a lot of sense because, you know, it, seasons are, are lost uh, in the early portion of the schedule. You know what I mean? Whereas, uh, you know, team has a, has, has a tough schedule to start and they, they just can't recover from it. And they're trying to play catch up and, oh, look at that, the schedule gets even tougher uh, during, let's say, they're around the trade deadline, and, oh, what do we do? Do we sell? Do we buy? So th- that's why I think it's important to go over the schedule, and the schedule's been out for like a month. So for a lot of you, you probably already know what your team's got to deal with in 2022-23. But like I said, we'll just do a quick recap and give you a bottom line up front. So uh, let's start off by talking about the Washington Capitals. Now, I know that uh, during the draft preview or the draft recap, 
We talked about the state of the organization. If you bought my draft report, uh, you know, wrote a lot about it, about how last season's six ten points percentage was the lowest in eight years, and it's been first round flame out after first round flame out since winning the cup in two thousand and eighteen. It hasn't gone well. The postseason performances of their top players has been marginal, mostly marginal, uh, and so. You know, they, they brought in a new coach in Laviolette. Same GM's there. Brian McClellan, he's been there since May of 2014. Uh, and uh, on top of that, the the farm system was pretty weak. That The, the Caps trade away a lot of draft picks. They've, they've been doing that every year to stay competitive. And so I think people in D.C. now are getting a little antsy. They, they, they've been antsy for a while now. But... After losing in the first round last season uh, to Florida as the eighth seed, well, we're technically the eighth seed. They were the second wild card, and Florida won the President's Trophy as the best team in the regular season. They lose that series in six games, and Caps fans are like, okay, like, we got it. Yeah, you know, you can only live or survive or harken back to that Stanley Cup win in 2018. It was a big deal. And that technically, for a lot of you fans, there's still a little bit of a hangover there. Like, oh, they suck. Let me just go watch. Let me go watch the rewind and watch, you know, game three of the finals or, you know, the conference finals or beating Pittsburgh. Like, whatever. Whatever you got to do to keep your mind off the fact that your team lost in the early portion of the postseason, be my guest. I've been there before. Mine lasted for like 15 years. (laughs) You know, where I'm trying to find the the bright side or the silver lining of being a fan of my team. But the thing is, though, the Caps, their window's still open, that there's no reason why they can't contend for another Stanley Cup, why they can't go to the conference finals again, why they can't make it all the way to the, the final round and potentially win a second Stanley Cup. There's There's really no reason why. And really, it's been a case of underperforming or underperformance underperformances by by their bigger plays during the playoffs the last couple of years. Backstrom, Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, John Carlson. These are your most expensive plays, and they have not delivered in the postseason, at least collectively. They usually one of the four will do well, or in the first couple of games, you got one guy playing well, and then he disappears. But, you know, I think McClelland uh, deserves, still deserves credit, and I think the reason why he's kept his job despite the this fact that you know four straight years of having or suffering early round playoff defeats that the team is still competitive and the the arena is still packed and oh by the way you have one of the greatest plays in the history of the game still chugging along Alex Ovechkin and he's he's seems pretty hell bent on breaking Gretzky's goal scoring record and he signed for for you know three four more years and I think that's the intent. Uh, the, that's that's the ownership's intent. That's front office's intent is to keep fielding a competitive team and do whatever he can to make sure that Alex Ovechkin breaks that record. And listen, I'm not saying that like like the entire team and the organization from the top down is all like hell bent on Ovechkin breaking the record. I'm just saying is that I feel think they feel like it. Well, why 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 not remain competitive? While we we we're, we're, I guess, still in possession of of this all time great, who by the way is not slowing down. He has not slowed down. 
He had another hot trophy caliber season this year. And if you look at the rest of the caps outside of maybe Kuznetsov, like injuries, you know, underperformances. And it was really, at the end of the day, it was Ovechkin and Kuznetsov that, that helped carry the team. And injuries did play a big role in what happened to the Caps last season. Listen, they went into the playoffs. They, they had, uh, you know, Nick Baxter was banged up. He wasn't 100%. Tom Wilson uh, uh, didn't even play. And Carl Hagen didn't play. Those are three key players uh, that you're going to probably have to have on long-term injured reserve to start the season. And we'll get into that when we talk about the cap and everything, the lineup. But, you know, if you're a Caps fan, you got to put things in perspective. That the, the, the worst case scenario of this entire run that really began all, all the way back in 2008 what, 2006, well, if you want to say when Ovechkin first entered the league, 05, 06, and then back from the next year, season after. But really, 07, 08, when they made the playoffs, I think it was against Philly in that round one. Ever since then, it's been pretty much playoffs every season outside of, I think, the 2000 and, was it 14? Or was it, I think it was 2014, where the Caps did make the playoffs. And then, you know, so they've, they've, they're still able to churn out 600 seasons, 45-plus wins, 100-plus points. So at a minimum, although you're upset with the fact that the team has, they're no longer the cream of the Eastern Conference, right? They've been that way for, they've been, they were the cream of the Eastern Conference for quite some time. That you're still having a competitive season where it gives you hope. Especially around like, you know, March... Late February, early March time frame, you're like, yeah, you know, this team's not that bad. They're actually finding a way to plug in holes. And there's no reason why they can't, let's say, pull off an upset in round one or round, you know, uh, you know, win around early and go to round two and just see and just take it from there. But when your team keeps losing in round one, it's annoying. It's frustrating. Because now you're like, oh, great. We make the playoffs. Yay. But it's just going to be over in a week and a half anyway. So what's the point? But the Capitals last season, you know, I beat them up when I did my, my last two team uh, season recaps. We recapped the, the 2021, I'm sorry, the 2019, 2020, 2021 season. That it was like, you know, terrible efforts by, by the key guys. Like guys mailing it in. Not showing up. Porous goaltending. Ineffective defense. Lackluster power play or the power play is good in the regular season, not good in the postseason. There's always like plenty of things to complain about. But this particular season, although I'm not a Caps fan, I think I would be proud of them for not only making the playoffs in that ridiculous conference. You know, basically you have eight 50-win teams or 50-win caliber teams where you, we had 50-win teams finish in the four and five slots in the conference this season. I mean, that's how crazy it is in the East. That they still managed to make the playoffs by a country mile, right? Like By like 20 points or 15 points. That's pretty extensive or uh, significant. And then put up a really determined effort in that round one loss to Florida. Now, again, they got some breaks, but... That that series, the Caps at one point were in control of that series and could very could easily, not want to say easily, could could very well have knocked off Florida. 
who had their own first round issues that dated all the way back to freaking 1996. So, with all the injuries, you got another great season out of Ovechkin. You got a bounce back year from Kuznetsov. That was a big deal. You were able to deliver on 100 points, win 44 games, and make the playoffs and, you know, put up a fight. an admirable, an admirable fight in round one against Florida before bowing out in six games. And even, even in, 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 in defeat, that the, the, the Caps didn't give up. And they were able to tie games late. And, you know, like I said, they got some breaks, but still. So if I'm, you know, so now, you know, the, the dust settles, the season's over, you lose to Florida, and now you're looking forward to the offseason. And... I'm I'm and I'm I'm trying to think of like what McClellan was thinking. Or try to envision what his plan was for the upcoming season. And and I think based on the moves that he's made now and in hindsight, two, three months thereafter, that I think it, they all made sense. And and the Caps are actually in a pretty good position right now. There's a lot of good things going on with the organization right now. That I don't see them heading towards some, like, abyss. Now, it, it's the last, like, four or five years, right? And I know I keep bringing this up. Last four or five years, everyone has been pointing at Boston, Pittsburgh, and Washington to fall off. That those three teams are going to fall off. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're still going to bottom out. Oh, man, are they going to suck? Oh, when Crosby retires, and when Ovechkin retires, and when Marshan retires, and Bergeron, they're all gone. All those teams are going to stink. They have no farm systems. They haven't been to trade away all their first-round picks. They're going to stink, stink, stink. Well, we, we've been saying that for a while now, and nothing's really transpired to the point where you think that it's possible for any of those three teams to fall back next season or this coming season and not make the playoffs. Now, the Red Wings, the Sabres, the Senators, oh, of course the Senators, the Devils, the Blue Jackets, they all made major moves. They all spent money. They're thinking that right now the bottom portion of the Eastern Conference is ripe for change and upheaval. That maybe two teams, possibly three, who made the playoffs last season won't make it in 2023 and will be replaced by those rebuilding teams or the teams who were rebuilding, you know, let's say, who have been rebuilding over the last five to seven, in some cases, 10, 11 years. But I'm here to let you know that if you're a Caps fan, I really wouldn't worry too much about them. That the pressure is not on Washington. The pressure is not on Boston. The pressure is not on... Pittsburgh, or the Rangers, or really any team in the Eastern Conference who made the playoffs. The pressure's not on them. The pressure's on everybody else because everybody else failed to meet expectations or in some cases failed to even improve and they actually regressed in the standings. And that they're, they didn't, these teams I just mentioned, those, those eight playoff teams, they didn't go out and spend a billion dollars in the offseason. Now, Florida, of course, they made a lot of changes. Carolina made a ton of changes. But everybody else, they're kind of happy with where they're at. And they only, only made a little, like, a minor move or two, and that was it. Staying the course. And I, I agree with it. If your arena's packed and you're making the playoffs every year, then, then that's good. Then, then you're good to go. 
the deadline again. I, I yes, we you build championships through the draft and so on, but the deadline is a, a critical piece to winning a Stanley Cup or advancing deep into the playoffs. And we saw teams last year every every year you could find the four conference finalists, and at least two or three of them made significant moves at the deadline, whether it be adding depth, adding a star player, getting a starting goalie, whatever it is that history tells us making moves at the, at the deadline can be just as important or critical as drafting top 10 picks in like a five-year period, multiple top 10 picks in a five-year period, or clearing cap space and making a big splash in the offseason for free agency or trades. That, you know, when you build your team in the offseason and then you execute the season, and now you're 60 games in or 55 games in, you're like, all right, let's evaluate. Let's assess what's going on here. We still have weaknesses in these areas. I thought we'd fix it with our offseason moves and the prospects that we called up ain't happening. How do we go out and fix it? Trade deadline. What do we need? We need beef on the blue line. We need speed on the wings. We need a legit backup goalie because our starting goalie is uh, wishy-washy. So, all the teams in the Eastern Conference who made the playoffs last season, you could say whatever you want about their current cap situation, whatever, they'll find the way. They'll find the way to make those deals at the deadline. And we've, what we've seen in some cases where teams have added guys with term, younger guys under 30 with term who stay with the team. And, you know, with the Capitals, Amanta is a perfect example. Although, pretty costly because you had to give up Vrana and uh, Manta was hurt. But, but still, I, I, I'm not, I am not sold. Everyone's already penciling in Ottawa to win 50 games and Detroit's going to win 45 games. They have a lot to prove. They haven't proven anything. That we've seen goaltending by itself carry a team to a 100-point season, in some cases a 50-win season. So the Caps' season ended earlier than expected, but then again, they were the, the, the lowest seed. And the question was, how is Brian McClellan going to address the offseason? What, what moves is he going to make? So remember, like the previous offseason, he made a lot of moves. But this season, he really didn't have to make a lot of moves. And again, I, I, I'm telling you, I think that he felt, again, I'm speculating here, I'm gonna, just going to assume, that he, I'm assuming that he was happy with the effort considering all the man games lost to injury. That he says, hey, if we have, like, a real deal Holyfield starting lineup and everybody's healthy, especially up front, that... That club is good enough to not only win a playoff round, but potentially advance deeper into the conference finals and maybe even to the Stanley Cup. That on paper, when healthy, the Capitals can go toe-to-toe with Toronto. And they could go toe-to-toe with Florida. And they could go toe-to-toe with the Rangers and Tampa and Pittsburgh and Boston. And... I mean, if if you want proof, look at their record last year in the conference and in the division. The Caps were 16-9-1 against the Metro Division. 
And it wasn't like they were, you know, freaking 12 and 0 against New Jersey, Philly, and Columbus, and, and the, the rest they were, you know, like, you know b- below 500 or playing four, 300 or 400 hockey. No, they 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 beat up on a lot of teams in that in that division, and even the Atlantic, the same thing. 13, 7, and 4 against the Atlantic. So combined, the Caps were 29, 16, and 8. 29, 16, and 8 against the big boys in the Eastern Conference. It's pretty freaking good. That's outstanding, actually. Usually it's the other way around. You want to play 500 against the teams that you're competing against or contending with? And you want to beat up on the lesser teams. But the opposite was true last season. And this is a problem where you might want to attribute it to goaltending if you want. Because the Caps, if they, would, if they did so well, right? 26-16-5 and, and five against the powerhouses in the conference. Well, they went 17-16-6 against all non-playoff teams. That, that's including out West. So that's a problem. That... If you beat those teams, I know you can't think this way sometimes because if you subtract five losses from the playoff teams, then why, why not subtract five wins from, uh, from the, uh, the, the, the powerhouses in terms of the overall schedule or the combined schedule? So you could say, well, the Caps went, let's say, 22-11-6 against the non-playoff teams. Then you're looking at one of the top teams in the league. A difference of five wins. That's all it would take. And so, heading into the season, they really didn't have any major contract problems or, or contract, I guess, roadblocks because the guys who were coming off a of free agency weren't needle movers, right? Justin Schultz was pretty much it, right defenseman. He was the only regular whose contract was expiring, like in terms of sk- a skater, the, uh, the skater positions. Now, you want to factor in Kempney, too, but he, he was hurt. He, play, he played injured. But everybody else that they lost in the offseason, they, they, they decided not to bring back. You can live without them. And even with all those injuries, like I said, I mean, look at the number I just gave you about the record against the division and the conference. That's in the face of significant injuries to key players. Backstrom, Haglin, Wilson, Mantha. With all these injuries... And kind of shaky, inconsistent goaltending between Vanacek and Samsonov. The Caps still finished 10th overall in goals for, 12th in goals against, 14th in shots, 6th in shots against, and 8th in shooting percentage. These are all significant achievements. Aha, but. But. There's always a but. 23rd in save percentage. 898 save percentage. Worst among all 16 playoff teams. Caps was 16th. So they're not giving up a whole lot of shots. If you look at the analytic data, they're not giving up a lot of quality shots either. They rank among the best in the league at not only suppressing shots, but suppressing quality shots. That has to do with... not The, the, the defense is kind of nondescript. And I'm not a big fan of the actual collective on the blue line. For Washington, I, I think that it's, you know, situation where they could definitely improve it. But a lot of those guys are cheap. And the money that they're pumping in towards the forward ranks, it's paying off. 
and that a lot of those forwards are responsible defensively, and they do help out, and they're, they're, they're excellent puck possessors and stick handlers, and that also limits the amount of, well, limits the opportunities that an opponent has to control the puck themselves, out of the zone, get the cycle going, and fire shots on net. Now, the power play last year stunk. It was a problem. 23rd overall in the league, but, but Washington, that might as well be 50th. You know what I mean? Because they every year, the Caps are always ranked among the, the leaders in the, on the uh, power play. And I didn't watch them enough to really know like what, what the problem was. How do you have a guy like, you know Ovechkin, where he's going to set up. You know where Carlson's going to be. You know where he's going to set up. Maybe not having Baxter for, for a full season to quarterback from the half wall. All right, that's fair. But the penalty killing was good, 12th overall. And they had the best road record in the NHL. 25, 10, and 6. The downside to that, one of the worst home records among the, let's say, 12 to 13 contenders in the league. 19, 6, and 6. So, you know, Caps have always had a pretty significant and, and visible or obvious home ice advantage, whether it be the Verizon Center, now there was a called the Capital One Center. But last season they had they had problems at home and, and the fans were fans were pretty pissed. So I guess you could kind of accept it when they make up for it by playing outstanding on the road. But then again, you're not paying money to see them on the road. You're paying money to see them at home. You're getting in your car, you're driving to the arena, you're paying for parking, you're paying for cassette, you're paying a lot of money. Caps are a hot ticket. They always have been in the Ovechkin era. And basically playing under 500 hockey at home, losing 22 times and winning only 19, that, that, that could bother you, all right? could bother you. It could impact your interest in going again, especially if you're not a season ticket holder. They also didn't have any luck in overtime. They lost nine games in overtime, winning only four. And they were six and ten in one goal games. So think about what I'm talking about, okay? Like overtime, three on three, right? Wide open, running gun, a lot of scoring chances. Six and ten in one goal games. That's not good for a contender to be six and ten in one goal games. Not winning at home, pressure, fans booing, maybe. Worst playoff, uh, worst save percentage among amongst uh, playoff teams, but you've only given up the sixth most shots in the league. What's the problem? Well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's goaltending. And this isn't like an analytic deep dive. It's just a look at the basic numbers. That the Caps have been without a true number one since Brayden Holtby. The guy who won them the cup, or helped win them the cup at least. And so, you have to think that McClellan at some point during the regular season, even at the end of it when they had their meetings, were like, well, well like, it's pretty obvious to me that goaltending is the problem. We drafted Ilya Sampson over the first round 2015, ahead of a lot of good players. He was supposed to be our franchise. And all the experts and the analysts and the, the, the prospect guys. Well, I guess Samsonov, he's your future. He's going to be the number one. Play him more. Oh, he's, he's, he's okay in the, in the AHL. He proved himself in Hershey. Play him. Go, go play him. 
Vanacek, same thing. Paid his dues in Hershey. Play him. We can move on from Holtby. Well, they gave it a run. And last season, it just did not work out. And when I say it didn't work out, I mean, like, think about how it could have worked or it would have worked had Washington had a legit number one goalie, like a Connor Hellebuck or a Igor Shesterkin or even a Jack Campbell or like a Marc-Andre Fleury. They, they didn't have that. It was back and forth, back and forth. Vanacek, Samsonov, Vanacek, Samsonov. And, and, and they just, they didn't deliver. They did not deliver. The numbers were, were just right to that. Like I said, 898 save percentage. What year is this? 1994. 898, like the, the worst teams in the league have save percentages, collective uh, team uh, save percentages. I forget about analytic data. I'm not talking about expected goals and shot quality. I'm just talking about straight up raw save percentage. The shots you faced and how many goals you let in. And the Caps were the worst. Among all playoff teams. And that, when was the last time they went into a playoff series and saying, hey, that guy's our number one. Now, you know, Holpe had his issues. But he was getting older, too. Had a lot of mileage on him. So, that, I think, set the tone or really kind of set the conditions, I guess, for Washington's offseason. And McClellan had cap space. He has the, uh, for lack of a better term, luxury of knowing that Backstrom, Wilson, and Hagelin were not going to be ready on opening night. So he could put them on long-term injury reserve, which would take about, what, like $16 million off the cap? But... You have to think that one of those guys might, you know, you can't always plan for those guys to all come back at the same time as expected or when expected. That there's always going to be one guy, especially when you have that many, three key guys. There's always going to be one guy who's going to be ahead of schedule, maybe by a month, maybe by a couple of weeks. Historically, that's usually what happens. But still, that's a nice buffer zone to have because right now they're not in compliance. They're about six and a half million over but they will be on opening night because all of those three guys are going to be in the lineup. Well, aren't expected to be in the lineup at least. So knowing what he knew and being given all the data and seeing what he saw with his own eyes, McClellan went out and he completely overhauled his goaltending. He got rid of three goalies. He got rid of an AHL goalie. He got rid of his two NHL goalies. So he traded Vanacek to the Devils, right? For a second-round pick that turned out to be Ryan Chesley and a third-round pick that turned out to be... uh, I think it was... Was it Pearson, right? Ludwig Pearson? No, I'm sorry, this is Dalev. So they basically traded Vanacek, who really... Back up on a powerhouse. Number one on a bad team. That kind of goalie. Not like... To me, he was never the, the, the number one on Washington. And the Caps are a good team. Contending team, perennial contending team. So you trade him to New Jersey for a second, a high second, and a high third. And in return, you send them Vanacek and 
A second-round pick was uh, belonged to Winnipeg, so it was 46th overall. So the trade, now that it's all said and done, is Vanacek and I believe Seamus Casey, the defense prospect, the right-shot defense prospect, for Ryan Chesley and Sazdalev. So a, a potential number one shutdown defenseman or top-pairing shutdown defenseman and a top-six sniper, big-time scorer in Sazdalev. That's a pretty good trade. And Vatacek was making, I mean, he was making all that much. He was on a two-way deal still. But he was, he was, up, he, it was, he was uh, coming up for free. He was an RFA. And the Caps were like, no, no, we're not, not going to sign him. We're not going to give him what he wants. Market value, say, go like that. No matter what his expected goals or his GSAA or quality star percentage was, he still had a winning record. And he played for a good team. You know how freaking GMs are, well, he played for a good team. He could be, could be good on my team, too. So let's just give him $15 million a year. Well, no, I mean, he didn't sign for that much, but there was a market for him, clearly. So, I mean, it's not like that move freed up a ton of cap space, but, you know, after that move was made, the question was, well, now what do we do about Ilya Samsonov, who could never wrestle the number one starting job away from Vanacek or just solidify it? It was pretty much a two-headed monster for a while. And Samsonov also was an RFA. And the Caps had control. And it was up to them whether they were going to qualify him or not. And they chose not to qualify him. And they just let him go. And then the other guy, Phoenix Copley, the, uh, the, the minor leaguer. So the, the three goalies that the Caps had last year, gone. Copley, Vanacek, and Samsonov. Now, Samsonov was making a lot before he got extended. I think Toronto extended him. He was making about two mil. So about three mil combined cap-wise for those two goalies. Actually, I think Copley was making like 1.1 mil. He might have been, I forgot what what kind of deal he was on. But, um, so, with that money, it's not like they had really any goalies in the pipeline ready just yet. They have a couple of good goalies. We'll get into the farm system in a second. But it made sense to me. Even if they didn't have anything locked up to completely restructure the the goaltending depth chart. And so when free agency opened, they had... Like I said, an opening, and they used their money and their, most of their cap space at least to sign Darcy Kemper from Colorado. Five years, 5.25 mil. And there's your number one. Now, they also signed Charlie Lindgren. He's been around for a while. And he was a backup in St. Louis. So they got him for three years at 1.1 mil. And there's, and there's your goaltending uh, duo for 2022-23. Darcy Kemper's the number one. And Charlie Lindgren as the backup. And Vanacek goes to New Jersey. And Samsonov basically walks for nothing to Toronto. So the projected lineup right now, if you just forget about other moves that they made. You know, they also brought in Dylan Strom. They brought in Connor Brown. And they brought in Eric Gustafson. And all those guys have to do is just help stabilize the situation until 
December or January when they're expecting Wilson and Baxham to be full-time again. But even without those two, the projected lineup is pretty good. Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Oshie, let's say on line one, with Kuznetsov as the center. Mantha between and, and Brown between Strom, right? Strom, and I had a career year. It was a, it was a free agent year. So you have to worry about him. He's kind of a little inconsistent, but he's a playmaker type, power play specialist. Now, Connor Brown, here's the deal. Apparently, Ottawa fans were really fed up with him because he played, uh, they moved Tim Stutzler to center, Ottawa did, I think in the second half last season, and the line was Stutzler with Formanton and Brown, and Sens fans are pretty livid because neither Formanton nor Brown were able to bury chances or the setups that Stutzler was creating. That they're already souring on Formanton to begin with because he might be implicated in this Hockey Canada uh, sex scandal. But Brown, you know, the guy they, they got from the Maple Leafs, he could be a hard-nosed guy, he could play center. But in terms of, like, finishing or being able to, to score or make up for the loss of a guy like Wilson and, or a, a center like Backstrom, I guess you could say you're looking at Strom and Brown replacing Backstrom and Wilson. I mean, Backstrom's pretty old. But I think he still has close to, you know, three-quarters of of an assist per game over a full season left in him, that kind of production. But it's also, Banta's really good, too, but he's got to be healthy. So, but that's still a pretty good second line. The thing is this, that top line, if it is Oshie on the right side with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, or, you know, whichever way you decide you want to play them, that, that that top line by themselves can carry the offense, just like Boston with their perfection line. And that anything that you get out of Manta, Strom, and Brown, if that's the line, or if you want to promote Connor McMichael, or Connor Sheary. Well, Connor Sheary had a pretty good year last year. Now, some might say, well, he was the beneficiary of being given a lot of minutes and playing alongside, you know, all-star line mates. Okay, that's fair. But you... You know that if Sheary is a 20-goal, 40-point guy, then having him on the third line, and he's not going to go all the way back down to, let's say, five goals and 10 assists. Like, he's still going to produce. So the top six before those guys come back that I mentioned is definitely formidable. But I think it would have to be the, the caps to, to stay afloat. And we'll get into the schedule and everything. But to stay afloat, to put to keep the pressure on the likes of Detroit. Because what happened last season? When Detroit was playing really well in the first half, the Caps, so were the Caps, and so were the Bruins. And the Bruins, of course, had all those games in hand. But it became obvious that Detroit was going to have to do more winning. That the Caps, they're not, they're not going to go anywhere. And they didn't. And in the end, Detroit just completely crumbled and wilted under the, under the pressure of trying to catch a team that's clearly built to win in the regular season and potentially win in the postseason. So, you know, the bottom six, 
They brought in Henrik Borgstrom, former first-round pick of Florida, drafted as, a, as an overager. I never liked the pick. Uh, he's had a lot of problems. It didn't work out in Florida. He went to Chicago, didn't work out there. So now he's on Washington. Uh, he could play wing. If you want to have Laws Ellis stay at center, you know, Connor McMichael, finally we had a prospect, an actual first-round pick prospect uh, that belonged to Washington, play uh, almost a full season. And that being Connor McMichael. Now he could play center or wing. So I like the fact that Brown, Strom, McMichael, Borgstrom, Eller, and maybe even Manta to a degree, they could all play center if necessary. They could all play center. But more than likely, you're going to have a lot of guys playing on the wing instead because, you know, obviously you only have so many centers that you could slot in. But that bottom six, let's just say hypothetically, that bottom six is going to be McMichael, Ella Borgstrom, Hathaway, Dowd, Sheary, throw Marcus Johansson. Remember, this is before you get Tom Wilson and Nicholas Backstrom off the injured list. But that forward group, and then the defense of Fayavari Carlson, Orlov, Nicholas Jensen, and then Gustafson, the guy that you brought in, he's more of an offensive type, and Trevor Van Riemsdyk, and then your fill-ins, the subs, Matt Irwin, Gabriel Carlson, the guy you got from Columbus, former first-round pick, that that lineup is good enough to maintain a 6-10 points percentage and keep the pressure on those teams who are chasing you, the Ottawas and the Buffaloes and the Detroits and uh, in the wild-card case, New Jersey. And Columbus. And on top of that, you have a legit number one in goal. Now, Kemper's played for bad teams before. He played, people look at the Colorado, okay, well, he, he got lucky with that. Yeah, he did. Okay, listen, the 16-4 and four record that the Avalanche had, anyone could have been a goalie for that team. And he definitely, he had some nervous moments where Francois had to come in and, and, and spell and uh, uh, replace him whether he was hurt or just not playing well. But he's still a legit number one. And the fact that the, the fact is, is that if that same group, not a lot of changes were made to this group, that yielded the sixth fewest shots against in the league, that maybe it's, well, it's reasonable to assume that with Kemper in goal and getting two players who could... I guess, help hold the fort until Basham and Wilson return that the Caps are going to keep suppressing shots. They're going to limit quality chances. And when they do face quality chances, they got a goalie like Kemper who can take care of business. Well, he'll be more consistent in that regard than the other two, the guys that you, you, you got rid of, Vanacek and Samsonov. Now, it's a five-year deal. For Kemper. So they're invested in him. They're invested in Lindgren too. They signed him to a three-year deal. So if, if Kemper struggles early, they, they're going to keep playing him. I, I don't think, I think the, basically the coaching staff, in my opinion, this is again my speculation, that the coaching staff will say, well, if we got to win 6-4, we'll win 6-4. If we got to open it up, we'll open it up. But you are our number one. We are not going to play this game anymore of who's number one, who's... Who, oh, you, you, you won two and then lost one? Sit. No, no, none of that. That if you're going to pay a goalie, you know, over $5 million a year for five years, you're playing him 60-plus games. At least 60 games. 
And the Caps haven't had that the last couple of seasons. So, as you could see, the lineup that they've constructed after their first round loss to Florida is formidable. Yes, Ovechkin's a year older. Kuznetsov's a year older. Oh, she's getting up there in age. Carlson's getting up there in age. He, he wasn't all that good in the playoff series. I would say that the one weakness, though, that the Caps have is more playoff-related, the defense core postseason-wise, than, let's say, their performance, how their performance would impact the team during the regular season. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a blue line built for the regular season, for a, for a good team. A team that can, let's say, reach the 600 mark in points percentage or 45 wins, 100 points. Fayavari is potentially a budding, you know, number one or number two. Because he could skate, he could hit. There's some offensive ability there. You didn't see it a whole lot in the minor leagues. But he basically jumped Alexiev, the, the kid that they drafted in the first round back in 2018. But... You know, Orlov, Jensen, you know, Gustafsson, he's all offense. He's a liability defensively. He's played on bad teams, and he even stunk on the bad teams. Uh, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, you know, you love him or hate him. He could really just confuse the heck out of you sometimes. You don't know which play you're going to get. But I'm thinking that teams with solid goaltending, they'll deal with the warts on defense because they know the goalie's going to stop the first shot and possibly even the second shot. And all the defensemen have to do is clear that third, that third attempt. Whereas Vanacek and Samson were getting beat clean by chances that weren't all that great. So if you, let's just say, if you get 60% of, of your 82 games of quality starts from either goalie, Lindgren or Lindgren or Kemper, Caps are winning 47, 48 games, maybe even 50. And there's going to be no concern about Detroit or Ottawa or any of those other teams. That the Caps, yet again, will make the playoffs. And, you know, what they do with the cap when those guys come back and how, how McClellan's going to manage it, I don't know. But I think LaViolette is going to manage this group really well. He's going to get the most out of them, at least during the regular season. But here's the thing. The Caps finally have assets that they could call up and promote in the event that the veterans don't deliver. That those guys down at Hershey, and there's really, we'll transition into the, the form system portion before we get into the cap, is that the, they have two groups in their prospect pool, like most teams, they have what I would call an age shall ready reserve, or like I guess what would be the taxi squad if we were doing the whole COVID nonsense again. So you have your age shall ready reserve. A lot of those guys saw action last year because of all the injuries, but now the Caps are building a pretty impressive nucleus of blue chip talent. Whereas the guys that they have, they that they've accumulated in the minor leagues, they've They've been there a while. You have to worry about, you know, the comfort zone, familiarity. Or 
used to be the glass half full kind of guy and say, no, they, they've just matured year after year after year. They keep maturing and now they're better and they're ready. And a guy like Lucas Johansson, could he be a full-time NHL defenseman? I, I think so on a bottom pairing, on a lot on, on at least bad teams. But he just has, there's no, been no chance for him. Alexiev's another one. And then up front, you look at the names. Uh, Protoss, Brett Leeson, Cody Clark, Joe Snively, creative guy, Garrett Pilon, Janssen Fjolby with his long hair, Beck Malenstein. These are good AHL seasoned forwards who are cheap, And you have to assume that at least two of those guys are going to put on a show in training camp and make it difficult for a guy like, let's say, Borgstrom or maybe even, you know, Marcus Johansson to solidify a spot. So I, the Caps have options. They have options in the, down in the form. They have cap space. They have the, the option to use the LTIR for those three players I mentioned. It's probably, if I'm going to guess, I'd say Hagelin's career is done. Maybe he'll pull like a, a Brian Barraud and be able to bounce back, but an eye injury like that, I don't know. It's going to be tough. You might see him sit out another year or two. And it's, it's sad. Backstrom, even if, I mean, we're talking about a hip surgery. My goodness. And, he, and he's old. So you don't know what kind of play you're going to get. Whereas Wilson, though, is the real X factor. If you get a healthy Tom Wilson in time for the stretch run, or he's in midseason form by the stretch run, and now you have all these kids down in the form pushing and pushing and pushing, you might not need to make a big splash of the trade deadline. Or you could unload some of those guys for more draft picks and just keep building up that blue chip portion of the farm system. But whatever McClellan decides to do, I think he made the right decisions this offseason. I really do. I think he's doing a pretty good job. Now, again, I know I've criticized him in the past, but he he did what he had to do, and that was fix the goaltending. If it doesn't work out, if if all these moves that he's made, he didn't make it that many. These are minor moves outside of Kemper and and Lindgren. Now, every other move was kind of minor. It's like just for depth, really. I know you want to look at Strom's point totals and be like, oh my God, look at those. Was it 60 points? Like, trust me, listen. A lot of those points are friggin' empty. You talk about garbage time, lost season. You know what I mean? You got, and also it's a contract year, so you, you got to be careful. Because there are times where Dylan Strom, yeah, as big of a score as he was, third overall pick, yeah, that's fine. You know, the way he dominated junior hockey. But it's been, it's been a battle since he came to the NHL. So, not only do I agree with the additions of the goaltender, the, the two goaltenders, but bringing in Brown and Strom, they're on one-year deals. A- everybody that they brought in is on one-year one deal except the two goalies. Gustafson, one-year, 800K. Strom, one-year, 3.5 mil. Borgstrom, Carlson, those are both two-way deals, one-year at 750K. So, the Caps are in a good spot. I'm not saying that they're going to win the Cup. I'm not saying that they have, they're a force to be reckoned with. But, all they really need is to have the same performance from the, their big guys up front, the skaters, as they had last season, 
Just a repeat performance. That's all we ask for. But you got a number one goalie in net. And a guy who's 60-65% of the time is going to give you a quality start. He's going to steal games for you. He's going to make sure you don't go 17-22 and against non-playoff teams. That he'll be, he'll just, like I said, make the, uh, the saves he's supposed to make against those bad teams. Crush their soul when they think they have hope in beating a team like the Caps. A team like Seattle or Arizona or Montreal. The first five, ten minutes of the game, that's when you crush the, the, their souls. You, you let them have their push. You let them have their fun. They have the energy. They have the jump. But keep it nothing, nothing. Because veteran teams, we, we see it all the time. By this early, se- middle, second period, that's when they're like, okay, all right, we're here now. All right, we're, we've awakened. If you have bad goaltending, you, you could be down 2 nothing, and the players are like, veterans, right, we're mailing it in. Screw it. Although that wasn't really a problem for the Caps. Caps had some pretty nice comebacks last season. But, you know, stability and goal is something that it looks like they, they finally have it. And, again, the pressure is less on them and more on the teams behind them. I, I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs. I really, truly, deeply don't think they're going to miss the playoffs. In fact, I think they'll even finish second or third in that division. Because if the Caps are playing 600 ball by the time Wilson and Backstrom come back, it, it could make them by, let's say, around the trade deadline or by the beginning of March, it could make them a force to be reckoned with, like more so than just being a playoff team or a 100-point team. And again, that record last season, even with the issues in goal, they still went 29-16-5 against the, what I think, uh, combined against the, the two best divisions in the game, Metro and Atlantic. All right, let's talk about the form system. Okay, we've kind of talked about it a little bit uh, by mentioning some of the names and so on, but it's very important that McClellan has restocked the pipeline the last couple of years. That although they've only had, well, heading into this last draft, they had only 26 picks in the previous five years. And that was the lowest total in that group. Tied for the lowest total amongst any team in the, in the league in that period. Where you're only averaging like basically five picks a draft instead of the seven. And, and it's all implied that they're not acquiring additional picks. So you're, you're trading away picks, you're not getting anything in return. And, but the last couple of years, they've changed that. And like I said in the draft preview, this last this group right here has the potential to go down if things work out as one of the best in recent Caps history. That Marashachenko, Chesley, Sizdalev, and Person, all four of those picks at one point or another were considered first round talent, whether it be preseason in Sizdalev and Person's case. Chesley was drafted 34, or uh, he was drafted 37, but more forwards went in the first round than expected, so pushed him down. And Marashachenko at, at 20th overall, he, he went before he had the Hodgkin's lymphoma, he was considered to be a potential top five or top six pick. So 
obviously three of those guys are wings, one's a defensive, so no help at center ice, but McMichael and Hendricks LaPierre. LaPierre, the first-round pick in 2020. McMichael, first-round pick in 2019. These are high-end offensive plays. LaPierre, I mean, concussion history is a concern. And he got a chance to play in the NHL a little bit last season. But pound for pound, LaPierre is one of the best setup men amongst all prospects drafted in the last three or four years. Easily. He's a, you know, he could score too. But he's a great setup man, an elite setup man. So this, this core that we're talking about, now we're talking about all the forwards. What about the defensemen? Vince Iorio. Huge. I, I thought he was a project. He ain't no project. He's no longer a project. I think he's ready. And he should be in the AHL next season. I forgot when he turns 20, but one trend I noticed about all the Caps defense prospects, especially the guys that they've drafted in, in recent years, a lot of them are number one defensemen on their respective teams. Iorio was Brandon's number one. Chesley, technically, was the NTDP's number one. Hugo Haas, remember him? The Czech kid who played for Shawinigan, they went all the way to Memorial Cup. He was their number one. Brent Johnson in the USHL, he was, uh, what was, he? was it Muskegon? I forgot what team he played for. Joachim LeMay. Uh, for, for uh, who was it, Lincoln in the USHL. I think Lincoln or Tri-City. He was their number one. And it's only a matter of time until David Gucciotti becomes the number one for Michigan State. Overage that they drafted this past year. So they got puck rushes. They got guys who got, got size. They could skate. They could run a power play. They could hit. And again, I'm not mentioning the guys that they had down on the farm in Hershey. Now, the only thing that they lost, they lost Geiser, and I liked him a lot. The numbers might not show up, but he was really solid for the Bears, and I think he wanted to go back to Switzerland, so he might be on loan. I didn't see him. I think Cap Friendly still lists him as a part of the team. So I think the kid, I think just, the kid just wanted to play, and maybe he was tied to Hershey. I don't know how you get tied to Hershey. I would love to live near that freaking factory. But anyway, the uh, but the the... The As you could see, remember now, I ranked them 27th, the form system, before the draft. And after it's done, I pushed them all the way up to 22nd. And that's fair. And I, I don't think it's going to dip that low for a while. Because now we're going to see Hershey within the next year or two. They're going to replace that old guard. That old guard that had, let's say, the, like the Gersiches and the Pinhos and the, you know, Leesons and Janssen Fjolbys and Protosses. A lot of those kids are, they, I mean, they, they've, they've been qualified, they're re-signed. But I'm wondering, I'm wondering if next season is the year where you're going to see a lot of those Hershey kids and also a handful, or maybe at least two, of those blue chippers I mentioned who were drafted within the last three or four years actually play because there's 12 pending UFA, seven forwards and five D-men on the main roster. A lot of like regulars are going to be UFA after the season for the cap. So that's a nice feather in McClellan's cap to have that luxury knowing, but to do that, he's got to replace these guys. 
So, hypothetically, yes, of course, he could replace all those veteran UFAs, let them walk, let them sign elsewhere for, for more money, and replace them with all these kids that I mentioned. But it doesn't always work out that way. And a lot will depend on how the, the team finishes in the postseason. But as you could see, all right, top, a little top-heavy at, at center ice, but it's, it's really good. Like, if, I, if I'm going to list, let's say, and, and include the addition of Jay Carabella, the fifth-round pick out of Guelph in this past draft, that there's six centers, if I'm going to call McMichael a center, McMichael, Garrett Pilon, Protoss, Hendrick, La- Hendrick Lapierre, and then Hakan Hanel, the German kid, and then Carabella. That's not bad. That's really good, actually. I'd say it's above average. It's above average center ice stepped in the prospect pool. But on the wings now, the wings are looking pretty good. And I like the fact that their later round picks are starting to develop into better players. Uh, if they're playing in Europe, on, on they've now on, regulars on the men's team. So guys like Bogdan Treneyev, they signed Henry Rabinsky, uh, Rybinsky, who was a Florida draft pick, and then he ended up getting picked up by the Caps, and he was huge for Seattle, the Thunderbirds, in the WHL playoffs. Uh, I'm a big fan of Cody Clark. I don't know, maybe because his, his, his dad, Wendell, or whatever, uh, uncle, I forgot how he's related to Wendell Clark. But, um, and then Leeson, I've always been a big fan of Brett Leeson. So Leeson, Clark... Rabinsky, Trianev, you want to throw in Damian Riat there? Actually, actually, I don't know if they re-signed him. He was an RFA. And then guys like Malenstein, Fjolby, okay, they're going to get this. There looks Joe Snively's old. He's like 27. But he's a heck of a playmaker, smaller guy, but a heck of a playmaker from the wing. But Oscar Magnuson is a guy, I think he was a seven-round pick, playing for Malmo. Shocked he went, he went that late back in 2020. And now... You add to that Marashnichenko, Sizdalev, and Pearson, and then you know even Ryan Hover, the kid they got out of Everett. Dual threat, good competitor, you know what I mean? And the Caps always drift, uh, have a good track record drifting out of the WHL. So this is a good prospect pool. This is a good prospect pool. I wouldn't even say it's fledgling. That there are kids who are ready right now. That you could say that if the Caps weren't so damn competitive and interested in winning another cup, that a guy like McMichael would be a top six player in, let's say, Seattle. Or LaPierre would send a Montreal second line and play, you know, 17 to 19 minutes a game. So again, I'm not worried about the Caps. In fact, the rest of the division and the rest of the comments for that matter should be concerned. Especially because of what I mentioned about uh, with uh, with Kemper, how if everything works out, all, all, all the all the roster from uh, has to do from the the, the few um, pretty much the same roster from the year before. All they have to do is repeat what they did in 2022. But with the increase, uh, the improvement in goaltending, that could add an additional, let's say, five wins and ten points. And now you're looking at a potential 50 win, 110 point team and home ice advantage in round one. Not that it's a guarantee, but uh, still, it's an attainable, definitely an attainable goal. All right. Uh, one last thing about the farm system. Uh, the goaltending, it's getting there. All right. So you have three guys that, that you know you have to keep an eye on. Uh, Gibson, Bjorklund, and Clark. Now, they have Clay Stevenson. They have Hunter Shepard. They're on the older side. But uh, Chase Clark, huge for Muskegon in the playoffs this year in the USHL. 
Mitchell Gibson was pretty good for Harvard this year. I think he was a sophomore. And then Bjorklund played on a horrible... Poor Bjorklund. I think he gave up like five goals a game. But it's not his fault, really. That team was so... Medicine that was so bad. So goaltending situation is not bad. But I, I, I like... You know, listen, they drafted Samsonov in a high round. I'm not saying they have to do that again. But... You know, you committed to Kemper. You committed to Lindgren for the, at least the next two to three years. So not critical, but I, I would I would like to see them add a high-end goalie prospect, i.e. one of them available in, let's say, around two or three, instead of always uh, gunning for those uh, fifth and sixth round picks. Although, listen, you know, you hope he was a late-round pick, and he worked out great, or later-round pick. All right, so let's move on to the salary cap. So they're currently, like I said, they're, they're currently 6.3 mil above compliance. Or outside of compliance. But about 17.5 mil will head to LTIR for those three players. Backstrom, Hagelin, and Wilson. So that, that just gives them time. It gives them plenty of time to make. Like I said, you have all these UFAs. 12 pending UFAs. 7 forwards, 5 D-men. This is a good thing for several reasons. Because you'll have a chunk of your regulars playing for contracts. That's the most important thing, in my opinion. And most of these UFAs are playoff tested. So that'll help boost their trade deadline value if things go, let's say, south for the Capitals. Or, you know, you just find a good trading partner. Like, yeah, we, 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 I see you got some excess UFAs, pending UFAs, when you want to play the young kids. We could really use this guy. You know, we'll give you a fifth-round pick. Yeah, yeah, go ahead and do it. Add those draft picks. But you have to think that they're going to have to make moves. Like if, if Backstrom and Wilson come back and they're ready to go, that they're going to have to make, they're going to have to dump, dump salary. They're going to have to find a way to make it all work. They only have two key RFA. Well, one is key. The other one is kind of like, you know, which is a fan favorite. Fayavari is the only key RFA. Janssen Fjolby is the other one. Uh, shouldn't be a concern, though. Because Fjolby could barely... I mean, actually, the Caps had a really good record in the, when he was in the lineup. I think he tweeted that out. Uh, but anyway, uh, another good thing about the Caps situation is there's no dead space. Which, was a lo- which is a luxury that a lot of teams would, would like to have. And back to that defense call, only two defensemen make more than $3 million, Two out of the six. Orlov at $5.1 mil and Carlson at $8.0 mil. So $13 mil for your top two defensemen. That's actually not bad. But everybody else is, is pretty cheap. So if you want to be a pessimist and say that, well, yeah, you know, we've had these issues in the playoffs and blah, blah. How about we freaking add some big names to the defense score? Instead of focusing on the on the forward ranks, uh, that's fair, totally fair. But let's see how this goaltending fix turns out. That actually might make some of these guys look better than they are. And like I said, you know, the the, the advanced numbers, the analytic numbers aren't bad. That the defense core does its job. They're just not going to put up a whole lot of points outside of you know Carlson. All right, so let's go and focus on the. Oh, this is going pretty fast actually. Let's go and focus on the uh, schedule review. Now, bottom line up front, the second half is going to be harder than the first half 
competition-wise, but the Caps being one of the oldest teams in the league is going to be important. They have way more days off in the second half. Now, I don't know if there's a, I haven't checked, but there's a big gap in February. Like a two-week gap in February, and I don't know if that's the league doing it for everyone, if that's going to be the All-Star weekend. I don't know what they have planned, but it seems like February is the quietest month for, for all the team, for all, the entire league in terms of games on the schedule. So the final 28 games the Caps are going to play in the 2023 season will be played over 71 days. So that's almost, almost uh, a game every three days. That's, that's beautiful if you're an older team, so you're a veteran. Now there's two tough matchups to start the season. Opening night, home against Boston, October 12th. And then you're in Toronto the following night. But then from October 15th to November 5th, it eases up. As only two of the the 11 games in that span are against teams you'd consider to be contenders. The toughest part of the early schedule is October 27th until November 25th. Because 12 of those 15 games will be against uh, last season's playoff teams and 10 of those games against contenders. So that schedule right now, at Dallas, at Nashville, at Carolina, three tough games. Vegas at home. I think Vegas is going to be a contender this year. At Detroit, and then Arizona at home. Okay, you got a little bit of a break there. But then there's a homestand, Edmonton, Pittsburgh, and Tampa. And then you hit the road for Tampa, Florida, St. Louis, and then back home for Colorado, Philly, and then Calgary. So a lot of tough ones in there. But from around Thanksgiving, November 26th to January 14th, 17 of those 23 games are against lesser teams, i.e. non-playoff teams from a season ago. And only one game in that span is against what you would consider to be a, a Metro Division contender. That's when you play the Rangers on December 27th. But the final 37 games, very tough. Yes, spaced out, like I said, but 23 of the final 37 are against contenders or playoff teams from 2022. Your last 10 games of the season, not bad. You have some tough ones, you got some layups. So it starts with home against Chicago, at Pittsburgh, Islanders at home, at Tampa, Rangers at home, at Montreal, then Florida and the Islanders at home, at Boston, and you close it out with the Devils at home. So if it comes down to the you know, plague in the playoffs, uh, the last game of the season, you got the Devils at home. So there you go. As far as the uh, division games, remember how they had to do the weird thing where you can't play every division team uh, four times, two and two, two home, two road. So this year, the offset is with Carolina and Pittsburgh. So that works out for you guys because those are the two of the tougher teams in the division. One game at home and two on the road against Carolina and then two home, one road against Pittsburgh. Who in the league approved that? Caps, Pens is a rivalry. Why are you going to only have them play three times instead of four? But whatever. It's one less game against the Penguins. So that actually works out. Uh, Games by month, 10 October, 14 November, 15 December, 14 in January, 9 in February, 14 in March, and 6 in April. So not bad. Your busiest month is December. November, December, January, busiest month. But like I said, there's there's that easy part that runs from Thanksgiving to mid-January. So this ties into the, the health of the guys like Wilson and Backstrom. Whereas if you could just smoke the daylights out of the competition between you know Thanksgiving and mid-January, then you'll be getting those guys back. 
But here's the good news. The schedule may intensify in terms of quality competition, but you'll have more days off in between. So, you know, and it'll end up working out. So, uh, overall, the Caps remain a contender. They should not be taken lightly. They, they, there's, they're must-see TV because of Ovechkin and, and uh, the the likelihood that... Uh, actually, don't let me check to see where Ovechkin is in terms of the all-time goal list. But the it should be a fun season. I, I, I really think that the... The Caps have built a solid team. That even if it is a little top-heavy, that you only have real two star players in Kuznetsov and Ovechkin, that's fine. That, that's enough to win 50 freaking games. Look at Carolina. With, I mean, really, Aho, Jarvis, and Karavainen is pretty much who carried them in, uh, in the postseason last year. Now, of course, they didn't go that, uh, you know, they didn't advance all that uh, uh, deep, and they lose in, in game seven in round two. But still, that Carolina's a little top-heavy, too. Yeah, they have quality guys. You know, they had quality guys with Trojek before he left and so on, but... All right, so Ovechkin is sitting at 780. He scored 50 goals. What a what a Rembrandt. All right, 50 goals in 77 games, 90 points. He finished 10th in the heart voting. That's kind of BS if you ask me. He should have finished higher than that. He shot 15% or better in three of the last four seasons. But he's still playing 20-plus a night, so that's something you got to keep an eye on. But 16 power play goals and 33 to even strength. So it's a pretty, pretty good split. But, I mean, so let's look at the all-time list. All right, here we go. All right, so Ovechkin right now is 21 behind Gordie Howe. He's going to pass Gordie Howe. But he's 114 behind Gretzky. If he scores 40 or or more this year, he's going to break it within two to three years. If he scores 50 like he did last year, you're looking at two seasons. I would say within four years, it's going to be broken. And I never thought I'd ever admit that, but he is going to do it. But Gordie Howell gets the past. That's a big deal. You have to figure midseason. Maybe not, maybe not. And maybe Ovechkin's so determined, like he's a f- sick freak workout animal like he always is, where he's going to score, let's say, 15 goals in his first 25 games. So lots of things to, to like about the Caps this year. Um, but I, I, I think the, the biggest takeaway is that McClellan identified a major problem, and he fixed it. Or he, he attempted to fix it. So we'll see how it works out. All right, so hour and 15 minutes in the books. I want to thank everybody for listening in. That was actually a lot faster than I thought. I guess I could have went deeper into the recap of the season, but you know, I, I felt like the, the, the biggest story was what, what they did in the offseason with the goaltending, more so than any portions of the regular season in 2022 or what happened in the Florida series. I talked about that plenty in the past. But like I said, you got to be positive. If you're a Caps fan, be positive. You don't want to be negative. 
Now, let's just say worst case scenario is everything goes to hell in the handbasket by, let's say, mid to late November. Would you approve of a, a deconstruction? Maybe like a passive deconstruction where you, now you're playing more kids, you're scratching veterans, looking to move them. Let's say like you're below 500 before Wilson and Backstrom uh, return. Kemper's having issues adapting to the new conference. Whatever it is. I think that's a situation where you just focus on Ovechkin and what he's doing and enjoy that. Uh, but I, I just I, this team this team is too deep. They, they they have the right pieces in place, and I think they have enough depth. Uh, scoring, the additions of Strom and Brown, I think I'm going to pay off. At least temporarily. And I, I'd like to see uh, like the kids play a little bit more, though. So we'll see how training camp goes, but I'll be watching it uh, with keen interest to see how well the, the kids do and if they if they outplay someone like a veteran in camp and make it instead of them. That's what I'm really looking for. But anyway, that'll wrap it up. So again, thank you for listening to the Draft Analyst Podcast, episode 214. We recapped the 2022 season for the Capitals and, of course, previewed the upcoming campaign, went over their farm system, the salary cap, the roster moves, So uh, and also reviewed the schedule. So I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any comments, questions, want me to add some more to these podcasts, let me know. Hit me up. Steve.Cornianos at thedraftanalyst.com. Of course, this podcast is found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. YouTube channel's Prospect Film Room, and the free draft blog is thedraftanalyst.com. All right. Take care, everybody. See you next time.